Blaise Pascal said, All men seek happiness. This is without exception. Whatever different means they employ, they all tend to this end. The cause of some going to war and of others avoiding it is the same desire in both attended with different views. The will never takes the least step but to this object, to this object of gaining happiness. This is the motive of every action of every man, even of those who hang themselves. Randy Alcorn comments on Pascal's observation. He says, Look, we all do, we, we all do want to be happy. So let's get real about it. Everything we do is motivated not by what will make us happy, but what we believe will make us happy. Pascal said, even those who hang themselves. If what we believe will make us happy is indeed what will make us happy, then great, we're starting at the right place. Let's start with this idea that all men everywhere at all times, all people, want to be happy. And we do what we do because we believe it will lead us to happiness. And this universal desire to be happy causes us to make all kinds of foolish choices and statements that are just patently false, including, for example, a very common assertion that these blessed beatitudes are translated happy. You remember a famous Robert Schuller saying he called them the be happy attitudes. Wrongly, he said that. Because this is not true. And the reason is not true is that those who translate this word blessed as happy mean the wrong thing by what they're saying is happy. This, and at the same time that I say that they are wrong in saying that, this is the sermon in the Beatitudes that I'm going to give the blessedness means happiness devil his due. Just remember everything else I say tonight. Blessedness is not happiness, though those who are blessed are indeed very often happy. Tonight I want to show you that there are two common definitions of happy. The first and most commonly used one in our culture has little or nothing to do with what Jesus is talking about here. And the second has a part of what uh, our culture calls happiness, the second definition, but not what Jesus is calling us to in his Beatitudes. So tonight what I want to do is I want to look at Matthew chapter 5, verse 6, and talk again about this word blessed. Jesus says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. If you remember, in the very first sermon in this series, we spent a good portion of that sermon talking about this word markarios. And I picked three of my favorite definitions of this word to kind of give you a sample. The first is by D.A. Carson, and he said, Blessedness is to experience God's approval or favor. And if you've paid attention, you know that is what I think the best definition of Marcarius is. 
is the one I use most often. But John MacArthur gives another uh, twist on it. And he says, blessedness is to experience contentedness based on God's favor. And you'll see in a little bit how I think that that is a, a good observation. But now I want you to catch Philip Yancey. And as always, Philip Yancey uh, is irritatingly right. <laughs> so catch what he says. Blessedness is to be viewed as lucky because non-Christians have no other word for the idea that you can have a form of happiness. And this is my comment. Again, this is in a non-Christian sense. He's talking about how non-Christians view happiness. He's talking, um, is viewed as lucky because non-Christians have no other word for the idea that you can have a form of happiness that you don't earn. Which gets at a big aspect of what Jesus is talking about here. You cannot earn blessedness. And what we'll find tonight is that this particular verse is as an excellent summary of the good news because you can't earn it. Now the problem lies in our culture, what we mean by happiness. We get these different messages. Obey your thirst. Image is everything. Live for now. And happiness in this sense has everything to do with the immediate positive feelings related to some stimulation. It could be mental stimulation. It could be physical. Our culture at least hasn't degenerated so far that it's only physical, although it's getting there. But this idea that you have these immediate positive feelings. That's what our culture defines as happiness. And blessedness, as it is used in God's Word, is in exact opposition to this idea of basing happiness on immediate positive feelings. On the other hand, with all of mankind in every time and in every place, if we look at them, what we will see is that this idea of contentment, along with a sense of well-being, if you go to the Oxford English Dictionary and go down a couple, that's what they define happiness as. And I, I think that's a good definition. What we're going to look at is this idea of contentment combined with a sense of well-being. And I think Part of the reason why that appeals to me is that um, even in the midst of trials, you can have this sense of well-being that because God is with you. And you can have contentment because of that. And if that's what you mean by happiness, then you can call blessedness happiness all day long. I just don't think it's a good idea because nobody else in our culture thinks that way. But we shall only find this contentment with a sense of well-being when we are seeking to understand the vital truth, this vital truth. The pursuit of happiness begins and ends with the pursuit of holiness. I think that's exactly what Jesus is getting at here. The pursuit of happiness begins and ends with the pursuit of holiness. So let's begin by reminding ourselves of the good news. Our first point is when we trust God, the feelings will come. Again, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. And I put another little quote, and I did it in orange because orange is God's favorite color. 
and it's my birthday weekend, so I can do what I want. Um, God's favor is more than, not less than, happiness. God's favor is more than, not less than, happiness. This, like what Pastor Benji was saying last week when he said adoption through propitiation was a profound summary of the good news, and I obviously agreed that was a a good statement. This is likewise a profound statement of the good news because blessed, those recipients of God's favor are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And when we get this idea of hungering and thirsting for righteousness, it holds a mirror to our hearts so that we see our own attitudes and our own actions that lead us astray and take us far off the pursuit of holiness and therefore the only form of happiness we will ever have as Christians. And if you have this attitude of pursuing holiness, of pursuing hungering and thirsting after righteousness, you can be sure of one thing. You are a child of God because only a child of God is going to have that kind of hungering and thirsting. You may be low on your um, schedule of uh, your graph of sanctification, but you are indeed a Christian. If you can say in your heart, I long to have the righteousness of Christ, then without a doubt you too are a child of God and you are one whom we are describing as blessed, a recipient of divine favor. This is the good news. This is the good news. This is the message that will save your soul. The Holy Spirit can use Matthew 5-6 to open the doors of the darkest heart. And for those of us who have already trusted the promises of God for us in Christ, it can break the chains of addiction to idols of every kind. Now, ought this not make you happy? Of course. Of course. How dare we walk around grumpy when we have the greatest possible of good newses? Nevertheless, life continues, doesn't it? And we do get grumpy. Just ask my wife. About me. Not her, but me. I love you, sweetie. Nevertheless, we have many commands throughout Scripture not to allow our feelings to control our actions. Moses' former assistant was commanded by his Lord and ours, Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed. Why did he have to have the command, do not be frightened or do not be dismayed, if this guy was, you know, Mr. Bravery? I think it's because he was frightened. I think it's because he was afraid. And then God gives him a reason. He says, For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. You, my friends, have the same Lord. And you, my friends, have the same command. Do not let your feelings, do not let your emotions control your actions. Here's the point. You can have happiness. You can have happiness in the sense that I gave it a moment ago. Contentment with this sense of well-being in any and every situation. 
Paul tells us that in Philippians chapter 4, doesn't he? And there will be times when happiness is not there. You don't get to be happy at this moment. It's in those times you must simply be obedient. Paul commands Timothy, do the work of an evangelist. I take it that Timothy was not an evangelist, but was commanded to obey even when he didn't feel happy about going and being an evangelist. Instead, Timothy discovered that the pursuit of happiness begins and ends with the pursuit of holiness. Indeed, when you trust God, when you are pursuing holiness, the happy feelings will come when those happy feelings are appropriate. But they are never, ever the goal of the godly man, woman, or child. Yesterday we buried a three-hour and six-minute-old baby. Not a happy day. I, I, I can't imagine how you could consider that happy. But you know, it is a time... It was a time when many reported that they were blessed. We were led in excellent worship and we were led in God's Word. And it's at times like that and times like now that we can take the next step. We can trust God to satisfy. Again, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. One of my favorite quotes is, God always loves a desperate soul. Because if you're desperate, you're going to be willing to try crazy things. Crazy like believing the promises of God for you in Christ. But what does it mean? What does hunger and thirst for righteousness mean? Martin Lloyd-Jones says, to hunger and thirst for righteousness is nothing but the longing to be positively holy. Martin Lloyd-Jones was, was speaking directly at my spiritual forebears, the fundamentalists, who made holiness a matter of not doing certain things. But he's saying, hungering and thirsting for righteousness is nothing but the longing to be positively holy, to be going out and doing things that are holy. Telling the world what we are for, not only what we are against. The words... Jesus chose to talk about hungering and thirsting had little to do with the pleasant pain that you feel when you're on the road to your favorite restaurant. These are the feelings that Jesus felt after he had, or while he was fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. Lloyd-Jones continues, he says, I go further. It means a consciousness of our desperate need. It means a deep consciousness of our great need even to the point of pain. It means something that keeps on until it is satisfied. This is the kind of pain that drives sleep from your eyes. It's the kind of pain that won't be assuaged by Tylenol or ibuprofen. This is the kind of pain that drives you to find relief no matter what the cost of that relief. Now, there's a paradox here. There's a paradox between hungering and thirsting relating to Jesus' commandment. Because when you have fried chicken, mashed potatoes, okra, green beans, cornbread, you know, nice tall glass of iced tea, another nice tall glass of ice water, and then, you know, you have some 
kind of berry pie, heated, throw some a la mode on top of that nice big mug of decaf coffee. You, you get the idea. <laughs> when you have this, your hunger is sated. And, and you kind of get to a point when even though there's some more goodness on your plate, the, the return on the investment of continuing to eat becomes a losing adventure. You just had enough. Wouldn't it be great to just be able to eat all the time and never get full? Never mind. Okay. But that doesn't happen with the hungering and thirsting that Jesus is talking about. As you hunger and thirst and as you drive and fight to get to be filled with the righteousness of God, you have more hunger, not less. You see, the Christian is one is one who at the one and the same time is hungering and thirsting, and yet he is filled. And the more he is filled, the more he hungers and thirsts. In fact, better than that, the hungering and thirsting are pleasure. The hungering and thirsting itself is a joyful pain. But it is a pleasure only to those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. The hunt more than the catch is the joy. Yes, to be blessed is to be happy. There is no doubt. And this this is a happiness that most of the world cannot fully comprehend because Jesus is going out on a limb. He is being absolutely counter-cultural, counter to every expectation that we could come up with. Unlike the joy of the chase that the world is talking about, in this case, it is the joy of being dissatisfied. Unwilling to rest content with laurels, this hunger brings us satisfaction. That's the paradox. Hungering and thirsting and being filled, but hungering and thirsting and then being filled, this idea of being dissatisfied with where we are in our relationship with God and resting in the grace of God who loves us and will never leave us nor forsake us. It is a joy appearing into Scriptures and mining for the gold of commands and the platinum of promises. It is the time spent in consciously before God recognizing that He is here right now with you. Now, don't be misled. It takes time to develop this kind of hunger and thirst. You cannot expect to go from fasting to a gourmet meal. It would kill you to do so. So begin by taking small bites. Begin by taking small bites of the feast that is God. And begin with this promise. Delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your hearts. Never forget, never forget the pursuit of happiness begins and it ends with this pursuit of holiness. The third point we make out of this is we need to trust God to finish His work. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. My friends, God's favor is given all at once 
as soon as we receive Christ as our Savior. And it continues over a lifetime. You see, our chief problem in our pursuit of happiness is not any specific sin that you commit. It's not our chief problem. Rather, your chief problem in mine in our pursuit of happiness is sin itself. It is my sin nature that blocks me in this pursuit of happiness. It is my propensity to sin automatically, without any conscious thinking about it, that prevents me and you from being happy. And this is why this idea of righteousness, as it is mentioned here in this verse, this hungering and thirsting after righteousness, has a twofold meaning. You are declared righteous at the moment of your salvation. This is called justification. You will never be more justified in God's sight than you are as soon as He does it. It is also true that you grow in righteousness. And this is called sanctification. Justification is a point in time event that happens once and that can never be undone nor added to. This is where we get the idea that the believer is safe in the arms of God immediately. Think thief on the cross. And sanctification is a process. It is one in which you and I take part. And when we hunger and thirst for righteousness, we have already been justified. This having of the hungering and thirsting of righteousness is an indication that you are already a believer. When we continue to hunger and thirst, and when we encourage our own hungering and thirsting for righteousness, we are being sanctified. And we have a hope that we can rest on while we are striving in this process of growing in righteousness. It's Philippians 1.6. Paul says, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. You can trust God right now. You can trust Him to come through on this promise and you will have one more shield to block the darts of temptations that assail you. You will have a contentment with a sense of well-being. But I definitely cannot promise you that it will give you these pleasant feelings related to some form of stimulation or another. This is because our pursuit of happiness begins and ends with the pursuit of holiness. Lastly, we need to trust God's steadfast love. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. God always favors open hands. One of the unfortunate realities is that many of us who have read the Beatitudes so often just fly by it. We miss important details. Each and every one of the eight Beatitudes is a promise that you can take to the bank, that you can trust is for you. When Jesus says, for they shall be satisfied, it is a promise that God will bless us with what we could not catch if we chased it for a hundred years. When Jesus promised, for they shall be satisfied, it likewise, as I said, holds a mirror to our heart of both the righteous and the self-righteous. You and I will come face to face with the fact that we cannot save ourselves. Rather, any true righteousness we possess must be given us from the outside, from God Himself. 
My friends, this is a blessed hope. This is a joy. This is something to be happy about. You don't have to earn it. It is yours as a gift. This is good news. Because how many of your dreams have been dashed to oblivion? How many of your long-for hopes have been ignored by everyone around you? You begin to fear being open to dreams again. But this is a promise you can fall back on. God will satisfy you. And what does God promise when we trust Him to satisfy us? When we hunger and thirst for righteousness? What does God promise when we turn to Him and Him alone to meet our deepest needs? More satisfaction. One of my favorite verses, Psalms 116, 12 and 13. What shall I render to the Lord for all of His benefits to me? What, what can I do to show God that I'm thankful for His blessings? David writes, I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I gave you this verse a few weeks ago. You remember? More please. More please. I want more of what you have to give me. You and I honor God for satisfying our hunger and thirst by offering our cup of salvation back to Him and asking it, Him to fill it again. In other words, we offer thanks by asking for more. We hunger and thirst for righteousness to be filled and then we are filled only so that we can hunger and thirst again so that we will be filled again. Such is the life of the Christian today until we are eternally filled with the righteousness which will be ours one day. Amen? You see, the problem is not wanting a cup of coffee to cheer your cold body in the morning. That's not the problem. The problem, I, I didn't hear an amen from either. either. I, I expected an amen there, guys. <laughs> the problem is not in wanting a new or newer car or some woodworking tool. The problem is not in thinking through what the problem, though, is in thinking that some new toy, some new thing is what will bring you the satisfaction. We have this knee-jerk reaction to stimulus created by Madison Avenue and all the advertisings we watch ceaselessly that makes us think that some new toy will make us happy. But that is a lie from the father of lies. And the Father of truth instead teaches us that we find happiness in the pursuit of holiness. Instead, what we need to do is we need to recognize that this new kitchen utensil or television or book is simply a tool to draw us closer to God. And if whatever it is that we're coveting is not a tool to draw us closer to God, Hmm, maybe we ought not want it. Because the pursuit of happiness begins and ends with the pursuit of holiness. When we want a new woodworking tool, understanding that our contentment and well-being is not because of the new tool or toy, you fill in whatever blank you're after, 
But because this new tool will help us pursue holiness, then we will find happiness that the ungodly cannot experience when their new wine or grain abounds, when they buy their brand new car or 500-inch television set. Do they make them that big yet? You see, buying stuff will not rob us of happiness if that happiness contentment with the sense of well-being doesn't come from the stuff but comes from the heart that intends to use that stuff to live a life more to the glory of God. Do not hear me say you can't buy stuff. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that it takes a different attitude towards that stuff. And by the way, if you are still enamored with the idea that stuff will make you happy, go home Go to Google and type in lottery winner's happiness and be prepared to cry. Our Declaration of Independence proudly declares that our rights, divinely given by the way, are among others life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Now, I think our fathers chose the word happiness, I assume because freedom that they were talking about, comes from being able to make decisions for yourself. It is incumbent upon the national government to only to protect the right of individuals to make that effort. I just said fighting words, by the way, if you're recording this to our brothers in Washington. I will refrain from preaching on the difference between positive and negative rights of the national government imposing them upon us I'm just going to stop there. If you want to know what the difference between positive and negative rights are, come and talk to me and I'll talk your ear off because right now that's what we're fighting right now. Um, Okay, back to preaching. Um, But it seems to me that our founding fathers had it right. They understood what they were saying. They were better philosophers than we have in Washington today. And the Committee of Five, headed by Ben Franklin and Thomas Jefferson, understood that the government provides the opportunity for us to pursue happiness. And wisely, they did not define that for us. Jesus did define it for us. And we pursue happiness by pursuing holiness. But the Committee of Five also understood that the government is not responsible to meet the whims and wishes of the populace. Randy Alcorn, 200 years later, understood that everything we do is motivated not by what will make us happy, but by what we believe will make us happy. I think Randy Alcorn is correctly interpreting where we're at in our culture today. While the government can and ought to protect our right to pursue happiness, we must be chasing the squirrel up the right tree. Because if not, what we will find is that we are chasing things that will ultimately not make us happy and we will forever be in pursuit, but never finding the happiness we seek. My friend, isn't that the life the people around you are living? Real freedom, 
Real freedom, therefore, is not merely the ability to do what you want. Real freedom is the ability to do what you want when what you want is what is best. And that's why Jesus tells us the pursuit of happiness begins and ends in the pursuit of holiness. Lord Almighty, we touched on so many different topics. God, I pray that through the questions that we gave in the sermon notes, that we will be able to dig a little deeper into this and that you will reveal to us some of the thoughts that we must have so that we can understand what is going on in this pursuit of holiness so that we can have a godly contentment with a sense of well-being. Glorify us, glorify yourself through us tonight uh, so that we indeed will be blessed and will be able to be a blessing. We love you, Jesus. Amen.